Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to another Larry Huck Ministries podcast. We pray this teaching will fill you with God's wisdom, anointing, and revelation knowledge. Thank you for your prayers and faithful support. We're doing the the series on the book of Revelation on the seven churches. So if you have your Bibles, I want to ask you to open up the Revelations chapter 1. And I want to explain once again why I'm doing this series. I was telling the guys in the back as we were getting ready to come out and we pray. And I said, here's, here's the way it works with me. God speaks to my heart. And he says, here's what I want you to teach on. And after he tells me what it is he wants me to teach, he then begins to reveal to me the revelation that he wants to bring to his people. Now, I pray whether you're sitting here or you're watching by stream, you're not just here to fulfill a religious obligation. That you are saying, Lord, feed me. Change me. Speak to me. That I may be a better Christian than I've ever been before. And that I may walk in all of your blessings and your promises like I've never done before. Now, the reason why I wanted to look at this is the book of Revelations obviously is a teaching that takes place around the time of the rapture, where the Lord comes and in the rapture, he walks amongst his church and he looks at his church and he says, you're going, you're staying, you're going, you're going, you're staying, you're going, you're staying. That's what's going to happen. And he lets us know in the book of Revelations, you do not want to be one of those who the Lord says, I don't know who you are. They say, well, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? He goes, I don't even know who you are. I, I don't know you. And the book of Revelations makes it very clear, a wake-up call, that you and I don't want to miss the rapture. Because between the rapture and the second coming, there are seven years of incredibly bad tribulation. As a matter of fact, it would be so bad, people would be crying out and saying, let me die. That's how bad it's going to be. I believe during the seven years, and we're going to see this in the series as we go more into prophecy concerning the book of Revelations, most people that die, most of the people that die during those seven years, you missed the rapture, then the second coming, most of the people who die during that time are going to die of starvation. Now, we think in America, well, um, our grocery stores are full. Well, I think we're getting a little hint of some of the fact that in the twinkling of an eye, our grocery stores could be empty. Now we look at, let's, let's just look at um, the COVID vaccine. And the COVID vaccine is, uh, if you want to get on an airplane, if you want to do this, you want to do that, you have to show 
that you've been vaccinated. You have a card that says you've been vaccinated. They're talking about making it a card that if you're not vaccinated, you can't go to Kroger and buy. They're talking about if you're not vaccinated, and some of you have already faced this, they're talking about if you don't have a vaccine passport, you can't go to work. If you don't go to work, you have no money. The Bible says that one of the signs of the Antichrist ruling the world will be you cannot buy or you cannot sell. Now, I read that. I've been saved for how many years have I been saved? Forty-something years. Forty-six years? I got saved when I was four. I was a drug addict at four. When I first got saved, we looked at that and said, you won't be able to buy or sell? You won't be able to buy or sell unless you take the mark of the Antichrist? The government won't let you buy or sell? We go, it's got to mean something else. And all of a sudden, we realize in just a year and a half how fast this can happen. Right? We think of nine months. We think about as in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. The other day, Tiz had to go to the doctor. She fills out a thing, and it doesn't say male or female. It says, what sex were you born? And all of a sudden, this is becoming normal. When I got saved, it'll be as in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, the other day I was golfing and and uh, uh, with some people you know, and, and uh, one of the guys said, Pastor, you're always straight. I said, I've always been straight. I said, I may have been a lot of things, but I have always been straight down the fairway. <laughs> Let it be known. <laughs> See, now... You say something like that, and people can just cancel cultural... How do you say it? Yeah, they can do that. So we look at all these things, and I want you to understand how crazy our world has become overnight, guys. Overnight. Some of the uh, leaders of certain states, when... The COVID thing was such a scary thing. Churches couldn't meet. If you did meet, you couldn't sing and and worship him. Now, casinos were open. You can gamble, but you can't lift your voice and praise God. And this is, how many have ever heard of the frog in the pan? You put a frog in the pan, you just keep turning the heat up a little bit, and the frog gets used to it and finally boils. But I want you to see how crazy this has been. But I want to show you something. Kathy sent this to Tiz, uh, uh, sent her a text or an email. Pull up the picture, guys, if you have, of all the ships that are blocked out at sea. The reason why they're saying you better stock up, you better, and this is not one of the best ones, there are thousands and thousands of ships that are out at sea that can't get products in because there are no workers 
to unload the ships or to drive the trucks. Now, let me say something. Keep that up there. Let me say something. Number one, thank God we live in a nation that can help people with welfare, with charity, when they're in need. But listen to me. You are not to take charity. Charity is for those who can't work, not for those who won't work. I need a better amen than that. It doesn't matter if, well, I make as much staying home. You've got to understand, this is a strategy of Satan. Because the Bible says... Well, I make as much staying home. Why should I go to work? Because God said, if a man doesn't work, neither shall he eat. And you've got to understand is that everything God teaches has a physical and a spiritual. So eventually, if we're taking charity, not because we can't work, but because we don't want to work, Eventually, you won't eat physically, but also you will not eat spiritually. Jesus said, taste of me and see that if I'm, I'm not good, this is more than I can make more staying home than I can work. This is a spiritual assault. If you can work, get out there, put your hands to something, put your feet to something, and watch the blessing of God come. Somebody say amen. But listen to this. Listen to this. Look at that picture. They're saying uh, the shelves are going to empty and things are happening. You know, gas prices are skyrocketing since this last administration came in. But listen to this prophecy in Revelations eighteen seventeen. It says, for in one hour, such great riches came to nothing. And every shipmaster... And all who traveled by ship, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea stood off at a great distance. So Bible prophecy, folks, is coming alive. But I'm, and, and I know I'm going to, you know, l- let me help you. You can send all the bad emails, all the bad letters. I don't read them. I only read the good news. I'm serious. Send send them if you want. I know the Bible says the wicked says the master delays his coming. I know that. And so let me say this. I believe the Messiah could come today. But I believe that as you're going to see in this series, and I, and I want you to understand, I'm not just teaching something. I really believe God has given me a prophetic word for, for all of us, for all of Christianity. I believe that this is a wake-up call. As you'll see, the Lord says to the church of Ephesus here, those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. And I believe, just as we see in Ephesus, if we wake up, Now, I believe the Christians who don't wake up, bad things are going to happen. But the Christian who does wake up and say, you know what? I need to serve God with all my heart, with all my might, with all my strength. That I believe this, it really is. We are in right now the end time transfer of wealth 
and anointing and spiritual outpouring because we're going out a glorious church. We're not going out bruised, busted, and disgusted. We're going out the head and not the tail. Somebody say amen. So I really believe this is a wake-up call. So let's read. Let's read Revelations. (coughs) Bring up the pictures of Jesus that we have, the three pictures of Jesus. And I want to start, and and I'm just going to go through the first part very quickly because I really want to get into the church of of Ephesus. Read with me in Revelation chapter 1, just starting with verse 9. And I, John, both your brother and companion, (coughs) excuse me, in tribulation in the kingdom and impatience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm just going to say this real quick. John, who at one time was the pastor of the church of Ephesus, it was Paul, then Timothy, and then John. John was arrested probably while he was the pastor of the church of Ephesus. He's now imprisoned on the island of Patmos, and the Lord visits him and gives him the book of Revelation. I was in the spirit on the large day and heard behind me a loud voice as a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, Smyrna, uh, Pergamos, Tyra, Sardis, uh, Philadelphia, Laodicea. And then I turned to see the voice, (coughs) pardon me, to see the voice that spoke to me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one was like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and his hair were like white wool, as white as snow, his eyes were like a flame of fire. Now, I'm going to just go through this real quick. This is what we picture Jesus looking like. But the reality, and I think I said this a couple of weeks ago before I got a little cold last week. There's nowhere in the Bible that describes what Jesus looks like. There's nothing wrong with picturing Jesus looking like this. Uh, the reality of it is, is Jesus was probably about five foot one. Jesus did not have uh, long blonde hair. Jesus was a Sephardic Jew. He would have had dark, probably dark curly hair. He was a Mediterranean. He would have had uh, darker skin, probably like Hispanic colored skin. If you see people in the Mediterranean, Um, Jesus probably didn't have blue eyes, a, a, a long hair. Jesus probably had short hair. Long hair was not in uh, at the time of Jesus. It's okay to picture Jesus this way. That's, there's nothing wrong with that because when we picture him, we picture him as our shepherd, as the Lamb of God. But here, John sees a different Jesus. This is a good picture of Jesus when he died on the cross. What we're reading here is Jesus right now. This is it. Well, geez, right now, yeah, because John saw this probably 1,900 years ago, approximately. And so he's seeing not the Lamb of God, but he is seeing the God of the book of Revelations. First thing he says is, is he had white hair. And the reason for white hair, and if you ever seen a judge or in the old times in England, they put on a white wig or a powder wig, leaders of our country, that white hair represents wisdom and judgment. 
And I know I've said this, but I want to go through. I want you to picture the Jesus that's here with us in this room right now. If, he, if, if God would remove the veil, this is the Jesus that we would see. He had, he had white hair as wisdom and, and as, a, as one of judge. When in Hebrew, when you pray, you'd say, Blessed art thou, Lord God, King of the universe. In Judaism, whenever you see something repeated twice, that's because there is a secret involved. Why do, why do we say, blessed art thou, Lord our God? Why are we saying, Lord our God? Because uh, Elohenu and Adonai, Adonai means this kind of Jesus, the Jesus of mercy and grace. Um, Elohenu means a God of judgment. So Jesus is not just, he is, uh, thank God, he is a, he is our savior of grace, but he is also representing the judgment of God. Amen. Wisdom and judgment, grace and mercy. All right. Then it says he has, um, eyes like a flame of fire that there, there are, that means, and we're going to get into this real quick, but that means that number one, his eyes are seeing everything. And number two, he's not happy right now. In a lot of things, he's not happy. I mean, you know, ever heard somebody say, Ben, he's got fire in his eyes. That look. Okay, so number one, he sees everything. Everything. And he keeps books. Number two, he's not real happy about some things. Number three, okay, his feet were like fine brass and, and, and it refined in a furnace and his voice as the sound of many waters. And, uh, uh, without getting into too much feet of brass, this is a military term. This is a, 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 an army. This is a strength term. And when Jesus, when the rapture takes place, we go up to be with him on the second coming when he returns. He's not coming as a lamb. As a matter of fact, in the army, we're in the army of God. We get raptured, the second coming, we're with him, but we don't fight. We're going to look good. Right? We're going to look good. I want one of them Roman breast things that makes my stomach look like it's got all these ripples in it and everything. I want a big sword and a helmet with a plume. But we don't do anything because he destroys everybody with his mouth. He just speaks. Boom, the enemy's wiped out. That's the, that's the kind of fight I want to be in, right? So it's giving a, a, a view of Jesus. In his right hand, he has seven stars. And out of his mouth, a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, his right hand, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of Haiti and death. John, who we see in the Last Supper painted, and he lays his head on Jesus' breast. John, who walked with this Jesus for three and a half years, all of a sudden he hears something. He turns around and he sees 
a book of revelation, Jesus. And John, who loved Jesus more than anybody possibly, falls down like a dead man. And John was doing good. John serving the Lord. I need an amen. But he turns around and he goes. And Jesus goes, John, it's me. It's me. It's me. Is that you, Lord? You sure look different. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm coming back here real quick. And the, every knee shall bow. And every tongue will confess. Amen. Now, we went over this in the book of Isaiah. It says when the Messiah comes the first time, nobody would even recognize him. He walked through a crowd. Nobody going to go, ooh, that must be the Messiah. No, he's about five foot one, short hair, got a beard, looks normal. There's nothing, there's nothing really attractive about him. But on the second coming, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall. Come on, somebody. Are you getting the picture here? Are you getting the picture? All right. Now look at this. Verse 20 or verse 19. Write these things which you have seen and the things which are. Now, the thing I want you to realize is this is not a book that was written about something that happened 2,000 years ago. If you read this in Hebrew, it says it even stronger. But he says, write these things which you have seen and the things which are. What we're about to study in the church, the seven churches of Revelations, are things that are happening right now. They are things which are, and the things which will take place after. So what we're seeing is the Lord saying, open your eyes, pay attention. This is what's happening right now. And I'm going to show you what's going to happen to those whose eyes are open and ears are open. But I'm also going to show you what's going to happen to those who are asleep in the light. It's going to be a good series. Verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches... And the seven lampstands, which you saw, are the seven churches. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, write this down. Now, the thing I want you to understand, can you bring up that picture of Jesus in the midst of the seven churches? When we look at the seven lampstands, what we see is that Revelation, Jesus shows John, John, I am right in the middle of my church. Now, I think the best thing to, 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 to realize is when we're talking about the seven lampstands, you, there was not one Christian site that I could find this in. But when you're talking about seven candlesticks and you're talking about a Jewish Jesus, You're talking about a menorah. Okay, you're talking about a menorah. And the teaching on the menorah was that every part of the menorah 
if you were to, can you bring up a menorah? Did we get a menorah on there, guys? If you look at a menorah, a menorah, not a Hanukkah menorah, but a the temple menorah, it says that every face of the menorah must, must face towards the front. Long, long Hebrew teaching. The seven lights, lights of the menorah represents the seven anointings of God. The seven anointings of God represent the seven anointings on the church. And the menorah never went out. It stayed lit 24-7. And it was to face towards the front. The reason it was to face towards the front is that everyone... Now, I'm going to pick on the ministry a little bit because judgment starts in the house of God. But it's to face towards the front. Why? This is interesting. That's why I love studying. I've never seen this before. Three times a year, you come before the Lord and you don't come empty-handed. Correct? Passover, Pentecost, Feast of Tabernacles. When they brought their first fruit offering... After they brought their first for offering, they would walk through a line of on both sides of priests from the temple. And when they walked through the priest, everyone was to look at the menorah. And that is to remind that not only do pastors, because remember in, in Revelations 1, it says you are anointed to be kings and priests. Now, in reality, my job is a priest. If, you, if you're in the ministry, your job is to be a priest unto God. If you're working a, a job, your job is to be kings. King Priests bring the vision. Kings bring the provision. But in reality, we're both. We're kings and priests. And just as I need to rely on the anointing of God to do my job, it's a reminder that the wealth comes from the Lord. Do not forget, it is me who gives you power in your hands to gain wealth. And so this is a reminder that when you walk past, yeah, man, I'm, my job is doing well. My business is doing well. And this is especially true for the church of Ephesus. They were flowing in money. But he said, don't forget, it's me who gives you power to build a church, and it's me who gives you power to make a living. We're both anointed by God, and if we don't pay attention, what does he say? He said, I'm going to take that anointing, remove it, and give it to somebody else. Amen? So even though he's writing this to the pastors, that's what an, the word angel uh, is the word messenger. And so every scholar realizes that first he is talking to the leaders of the church, but he's not just talking to church. You're the church. I'm the church. She's the church. He's the church. So in reality, everything that he's saying to the pastors, he's also saying to you and I. I know I took a long time saying that, but I want you to understand. Do you get it? All right, so let's look at this real quick and see what he says. First, he says, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, these things, says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who stands in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Now, the first thing, and I, I never teach on this, 
But I'm going to teach on it because this is what it's saying. The first thing he says is, first off, I'm speaking to the pastors. He said, I hold these seven stars, pastor, leader, church leader, worship singer, musician, who are those who are in the ministry, I hold you in the palm of my right hand. Now, the first thing that is saying is that those who God has called to the ministry have an anointing. And there is, and I'm, I never teach on this, but I'm going to say it. There is to be a respect for that anointing that stands in the right hand of God. Now, Jesus sits where? On the right hand of the Father. But we need to understand that just as there is authority given to those who are in the ministry, with great authority comes great responsibility. Amen? The Bible says, Be ye not many teachers, for greater is your condemnation. Now, what does that say? That says, there's a scripture that I heard when I first started going into the ministry. And it says, If you hold back my word because of the look on their faces, I will take that anointing and give it to somebody else. Now, the, the, one of the things I want you to understand is the menorah, the, 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 the anointing will never go out. He says, I'm gonna, he, he does say, I'll remove that anointing, but he'll just give it to somebody else. How many know the story of the 10 talents? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Listen, there is going to be an end time transfer of wealth. If you're faithful, he'll keep that anointing on you so you'll be a part of that end time transfer of wealth. The wealth of the wicked being put in the hands of the righteous. Not the churchgoer. The righteous. Say, well, what, what, if, I, what if he takes my lamp? Well, he's still going to have an end time transfer of wealth. So he'll take that anointing that was on that person who not serving God with all the heart. And he'll just give it to somebody else. That's the talents. He said, you were faithful in little, now you're going to be faithful in much. But that's also true of the pastor. If the pastor holds back God's word because he's afraid they won't give. Or he'll be ridiculed. Or people will leave. Because he said something that is not socially acceptable. Now, I believe that I want everybody to love me. I mean, who would not love me? Tiz just booed. Oh, by the way, did you notice Tiz does have a black eye? I told her I want my toast lightly toasted. She came out of my office, ran right into an elk head, and at least that's the story we're sticking to. 
The Bible says, if I hold back my word because of the look on your face, he'll take the anointing. Now, you can still gather a crowd without the anointing. But you can't build a church that will change the world unless God anoints it. You can make money without the anointing. But there's a wealth that comes from the Lord and brings no sorrow with it. Do you understand? So that's why the Bible says judgment begins in the house of the Lord. If we're, if we're saying, you know, God, you ought to judge the world, bring judgment to the world. Be careful what you're praying because before he brings judgment to the world, he's first going to judge the church. First, he's going to judge the pastor. Then he'll judge the church. Why? Why? Why would he do that? Why would he, why would he get mad at me? I mean, I'm just, I, I'm just saying stuff to make you feel good. I just, I just want everybody to you know, sing kumbaya and you know, have a good time. Why? Because the rapture is getting ready to take place. Are you all okay? If you hold back my word because of the looks, you roll your eyes, you can do all those things. Look at your watch. It don't make any difference. With great, with, we have, I think we have, Three million people that have given to our ministry. We're touching the world, bringing the world back to the Jewish roots. That's a great honor. But with that honor comes responsibility. If I say we're going to give a million dollars for Aliyah, if I say that, and I raise funds for that, I better well do it. Are you in agreement? Otherwise, I'm a liar. If God blesses you financially and you're not faithful in your giving, what's good for the goose? Well, I got real quiet over. I'm going over to the Presbyterian side over here. Are, are, are you hearing what we're saying? Jesus says, I'm in the midst of the church. Now, I wish we could see him. But when we go out and we're supposed to pay our tithe, he's, he's standing there watching. Say, so, oh no, oh yeah, remember when Jesus was at the, at the charity box and the widow came in and brought her coins and he says, uh, she's given more than all of you. She, she sacrificed. He's, he's... Why? He doesn't need our money. But he has a system and he changes the world 
through the anointing on the kings. Well, I'm not getting many. Uh, I, I, I really thought this was going to be a good series. <laughs> you heard the story about the little boy who had the, the kitten and its head was up here and he kept brushing the kitten this way. And the kitten's going, yeah, yeah. And the mom goes, honey, he doesn't like you brushing him that way. And he goes, well, if he doesn't like it, let him turn around. (laughs) See, even if it's you that's robbing God, smile so I don't know. But the thing of it is, it, it, you know, I, I, listen, I've been in the ministry a long time. I've seen people fake putting money in the plate. No, all the time. Fake, it, it's like Jesus goes, what, what? <laughs> Are y'all okay? It gets even better. It gets even better. G, look at verse 2. Jesus says, I know your works. Your labor, your patience. I know what you're doing. Now, I want you to understand something here. Jesus is complimenting the church of Ephesus. The church of Ephesus was an amazing place. Can we bring up, can we bring up some of the pictures of, the church, of Ephesus? Ephesus is one of the churches that is in modern-day Turkey. Here's a... Uh, Here's Tizanai at Ephesus. Here's Tizanai in front of, I think this is either the Temple of Diana or it's the Great Library. But Ephesus was an amazing, this right here is the goddess Nike. The false goddess Nike of the Temple of Diana. This is, uh, I don't know if that's the temple or if it's the great library, but Ephesus, I wish we could go there on one of our tours to Israel. Turkey's not safe right now, but it was an amazingly prosperous place. But it was in its prosperity, it had become incredibly immoral. As a matter of fact, in the temple of Diana, um, prostitution was part of it. Um, immorality everywhere. So if, if immorality is being taught in the place of worship, obviously it's everywhere in society, right? So here the Lord says, I know your works and your patience. He said, even though this is all going on, I, I, I see you being ushers and greeters and working in the children's ministry and go and doing this and doing that. And he's complimenting them on how hard they're working. And then he goes on to say, and have tested those who say they're apostles and are not and have found them liars. Now jump over to verse six, but this you have that you hate the deeds of of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, I'm going to tell you, when I went to study this, very little was taught on Nicolaitans. And the Lord says, you hate it, and I hate it. And so I had to go into history books to find out what it is that they're talking about, because if, if, 
the Lord hates it. This is something we need to make sure we're not a part of. Right? He said, you have tested those who say they're apostles and are not, and they're lying to you. And then he says, I hate the Nicolaitans and you do too. Now, as you study this, nobody can say 100% that this is who John was talking about as Jesus shared this with him. But most historians will say this goes all the way back to the book of Acts where the apostles say, you know what? We can't be waiting tables. We can't be doing this. We can't be doing that. We need to build a team around us. Remember that? We need, I think it's what, Acts chapter 6? We need to build a team. And so the apostle says, find us men who are full of the Spirit and have a good reputation. So that would be like me going, you know what? Man, there's too much I need to add to the staff. I need to, and so God says, well, find people who have a good reputation and find people who are full of the Holy Ghost. And so one of those people, and, and this is questionable, but most would say one of those people, it says in the, in the Bible, in Acts chapter 6, his name was Nicholas. And he became an elder of the church. But somewhere, and whether it's Nicholas or not, the Nicolaitans followed this teaching of Nicholas. And Nicholas, whoever he was, was somebody who had authority in the church, but somewhere along the line, he began to abuse that authority. And he began to use people as someone that they are serving him instead of him serving them. He began to abuse, he began to... Well, I'll read the way it says it in history. They, the, those who followed this teaching had lives of unrestrained indulgence, adultery, immorality, eating meats offered to idols, and perverting the grace of God. Now, the reason I bring that up is one of the things is, is when you look at Jesus in the midst of the seven churches... It's an amazing thing. It really spoke to my heart that all these seven churches had a little bit of different mission. And they faced each other because we need each other. Doesn't matter what denomination we are. We, everybody that loves the Lord, we need each other. Amen. When I first gave my life to the Lord, the, the group that I was in, and I thank God for them. They got me saved. They launched me in the ministry. But... Nobody was doing it right except them. And that's why I left. I haven't even been, ever been around a, a ministry like that. Everybody's doing it wrong. We're the only ones. Well, you know what? There's none of us that are coming in this thing walking on water. And we're all going to make mistakes along the way, right? We need, that's what the Lord said. He said, I'm not just with one church. I'm in the midst of all the churches. But... He said, you judge those who say that they're apostles and what they're teaching is a lie. And then you look at the, the followers of Nicholas and they, they were unlimited indulgence. 
more, 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 more. And I believe God wants to bless me. I believe God wants to bless all of us. But your giving is not to to make me something. Your giving, yeah, it, it, it blesses me. But your giving is also to be used to change the world. <coughs> to feed orphans and widows. Amen. Amen. But I thought it was interesting that in this first church, he said, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which I hate. And the number one thing in studying is that, is that they perverted grace. I'm not saying this about, I, I, I can think of some of the things that I taught 30 years ago, and I go, oh God, forgive me. I thought I was teaching right, it was what I was taught. You know, replacement theology, and the Jews killed Jesus, and all these other things. And so there's a difference between teaching something and you've made a mistake than there is in teaching something and you know it's not true. I believe in the grace of God. I walked in a drug addict, a drug dealer, seven federal warrants for my arrest for selling drugs, smuggling drugs. But I also read the scripture where Jesus said, go and sin no more, lest the worst thing comes upon you. There is doctrines out there right now that actually say, if you try to, and well-known ministries, if you try to live holy, you are negating the grace of God. Friends of mine that have been in my pulpit have taught and said, the only commandment we have to follow is love one another. Well, I'm sorry, but if I went and told Tiz, listen, thou shalt not commit adultery is not vogue anymore. Tiz would give a whole new meaning to the laying on of hands and the pleading of my blood. Say amen. amen. Shout grace, Zerubbabel. Amazing grace. Unmerited, undeserved, unrepayable favor. But when you say, if you try to live holy, you're negating the grace of God. That is a lie. Doesn't matter if it comes from a politician or a pulpit. That is false doctrine. We are to live as Jesus Christ commands us to live, and we're to live holy. Listen to me. Listen to me. Sex is not a bad thing. If you read the Song of Solomon, it is a manual of sexual relationship between a husband and a wife. First time I've seen some of the men, ooh. I'm going home and do some Bible study. (laughs) My pastor is a prophet. (laughs) But it is between a married man and a married woman. Adultery and fornication is a sin. Say amen. Do you understand? You're not to commit adultery. 
If you're, if until you say I do, you don't. Oh, Pastor, and I've talked to Pastor, come on, Brother Huck. This is 2021. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm not against gay people. The wages of sin is death. I walked in a sinner. The Lord loved me, changed me, saved me, forgave me, cleaned me up. I'm not against gay people, but the Bible says one man and one woman. That's the way it is. That, that's the church of 2,000 years ago. And that's the church Jesus is addressing. I have seven minutes. Jesus is addressing here in the book of Ephesians. When we were in Portland, Oregon, and uh, pastoring, when we were pastoring in Portland, there was a move in Portland of trying to push same-sex marriage. I'm not against any. I don't, I don't, listen, I've been, I've been the worst of, now I hit it straight down the fairway. I want you to know that. I always have. I've never hooked it left or right. (laughs) But I know what it is to be saved by grace. But there was a thing to push in our schools and in our thing, this was, this was 20-something years ago, same-sex marriage. And they figured, well, if we can pass it in here, we can pass it in Portland. So Dr. Dobson came up, focused on the family, and gathered churches and everything. There was one church there in town. It was, at that time, the biggest church in town. It's now gone. The pastor's not in the ministry anymore. The church is gone. And he was invited, like the rest of us, to come on this and know how to understand this, know how to treat it with dignity, but treat it biblically. And he made this statement to some of us. He said, I can't come. And we said, why? And he said, no matter which side I stand on, I'll lose half my church. Remember that? Well, I, I, I... I didn't know what to say <laughs> because I don't hate anybody. I'm not I'm mad at me. You know, listen, we're all sinners saved by grace. But at the same time, when I got saved, I found out I wasn't supposed to, supposed to smoke dope anymore. Now, I came up with all the reasons. Well, it's an herb. Well, I can smell it right over in here. So. <laughs> You know, it may be an herb, but it's also a thorn and a thistle. Well, what does it matter? We're in love. No, until you commit, you're not in love, you're in heat. That's why the Bible says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. That's why you don't go dating single. Thank you, mother. (laughs) 
See, it's not taught anymore. It's not taught anymore. It's just, oh, we're okay. Yeah, we are okay. Man, what amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Woman, where are your accusers? None here, Lord. Neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more, lest a worse thing comes upon you. Amen? See, the Lord says, I know your works, your patience, that you can't bear those who are evil. You've tested those who say they're... Listen, just because it's in a Christian book doesn't mean it's gospel. Just because it's said from a pulpit doesn't mean it's gospel. Just because somebody says, Hey, let's say of the Lord God. Just because somebody says, Thus say the Lord God, don't mean you got to listen to it. Amen? You know, when Tiz and I met in the church in Flagstaff, and everybody knew, oh, Pastor, or not Pastor, Larry and Tiz, looks like they're going to hook up. One time this guy goes, in, in, at the end of the service, goes, and everybody got quiet, you know, tongues and interpretation. Yay, that woman that you think you're going to marry, yay, that is not the one. That is not the one for you. And my pastor goes, no, nah, don't even listen to that. That ain't right. <laughs> Just because somebody says, thus saith the Lord, you got to look and see what it says in the scriptures. Oh, come on, somebody. Amen? Let me, cl- let me wrap it up with this. He said, you've done really good. You in the book of Revelations? Go left into Jude. Make one left. Look at verse 3. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all the for which was once for all deliverance to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lasciviousness and deny the only Lord, God, and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you get a chance, I I won't take time today. If you get a chance, when you go home, read 2 Peter chapter 2. And he's talking to pastors and leaders. And he said, what happened to you? He said, all of a sudden, it became about the numbers. And it became about the money. And he said, and you know you're not teaching what's correct. You know it. He said, it'd be better that you had never known the truth. than you know it and you pervert it. Amen? That, okay, I got to finish this. Gosh, there's so much. All right, now look at what comes next. There were murderers, oh, excuse me, <laughs> murderers, how'd that get in there? And you have, you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. You just keep pressing on. You keep doing what's right. And then he says in verse 4, listen to this. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you've left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent 
and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lamps. What he's saying is it's neat. It's amazing how it reads in Hebrew. It says all of a sudden you go, you, you wake up one and go, the Lord's gone. I don't have divine wisdom in doing business deals anymore. I don't have divine favor in my job. I don't have divine. I'm up. I'm, I'm, I, 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 I watched this one. I heard this one tape one time. And there was this old African-American pastor. And he said, I was asked, what's the anointing? And this old African-American pastor, like 80-something years old, he says, I don't know how to explain it. But when I got it, I know it. And when I don't, everybody else knows it. Lord, please anoint us. Please don't take my candlestick and give it to somebody else. And I get up here on the wisdom of man and not the direction and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He said, you're doing all these things. You're doing all these things. But he said, I got this one thing against you. He said, you've lost your first love. You know, when I read that, and I've heard that for so many years, and I said, Lord, how is it that they can be doing everything that's right? And then the Lord says, you've lost your first love. And the Lord spoke to me last night in my office, and he said, it's easy. They're not doing anything wrong. They're doing it exactly the way they're supposed to they just traded their relationship for a religion you ever see that happen in a marriage they're still together but they don't have that love you ever hear the story of the guy whose wife makes him go to the wet marriage counselor and he's sitting there and the counselor said, what's the problem? And the guy's just sitting there. She goes, I'll tell you what the problem is. We've been married for 30 years, and he never tells me he loves me anymore. The marriage counselor says, is that true? And he goes, yeah. He goes, why not? He goes, I told her I loved her 30 years ago. If I change my mind, I'll let her know. <laughs> Quit nudging your husband. Quit that. Quit that. Quit that. But you know, just like in a marriage, you have to keep that love alive. You know, I, when I read that and, and, and I thought, he's first speaking to pastors. I thought, you know, that's something I have to guard all the time. I have a drawer. I have 40-something years of sermons in drawers. And very seldom will I put one. I'll pull one out for Passover. I'll pull one out. And, but I always study to get something new, to get something fresh. Because I feel like if I just regurgitate something, I'm not doing my job. My job is to bring revelation. My job is to bring conviction. My job is to bring motivation through the Word of God. That's my job. That's what I'm... But I thought, how, how easy is it just to become... A professional pastor. 
a professional piano player, a professional singer, a professional children's teacher. We're doing the right things, but we've lost our first love. So the Lord says, here's what you need to do, or I'm going to have to remove your candlestick. The, The light will never go out. In fact, the closer we get to the end, the more the light will be there. But, you know, I've been doing, how many years have we been doing this now? Over 45 years. And Tiz can tell you, Tiz can tell you, I labor over a message. Every week. I I never go, well, I'm just going to throw something together. I labor over it. I pray. I seek God. I study. I spend hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. Why? Because I'm not hired by God. I'm called by God. It's not a job. When Tiz and I first went in the ministry for the first 10, 12 years, we made $115, $150 a week. That's what we made between the two of us. And we never even thought anything about it. Our kids always, you know, our kids always, we'd, Christmas, we'd run down to Goodwill and buy a bike and hand paint it because we weren't in it for the money. It wasn't a job. It was the call of God. We've started over seven times. Started, went, go out in the streets. We're, we're pastoring and I read a thing that 10,000 drug addicts hit the streets, kids hit the streets every day in Melbourne, Australia. And I look at Tess, I said, look at this. She goes, we got to go. I said, we got to go. Give it up. Load the kids up. We go start all over again. Find a vacant building. When we started our church in Santa Fe, Katie, uh, uh, Anna was just born. We drove our, our little U-Haul up there. We unloaded. Tiz and I went out on our own. We had no, no musicians, no piano players. We got a little liquor store down in the hood, Henry's Liquor and Meat Market. And Tiz and I, on our own, went out and passed out 10,000 flyers, witnessed to people, went down into the, into the sewers and got kids that were living in there. They were our first church members. Wasn't, wasn't, wasn't a job. Wasn't about a paycheck. I think I've told this story, but I want our worship team to hear this. A friend of mine went to Singapore many, many, many years ago. That church, this church doesn't exist anymore. Went to Singapore and he was sitting on the platform. And as the worship team began to sing and worship and the congregation, huge church, huge church, people were being slain during the worship, being slain in the spirit. And we weren't used, he wasn't used to this. And all of a sudden he looked and his daughter and his wife are slain in the spirit. And next thing he knows, he's kind of waking up and he pastors preaching. He's laying on the platform slain in the spirit. Not, not one of these courtesy flops. The real thing, the real thing. And afterwards, he said to the pastor, he goes, what is it? What is it? He said, during praise and worship, I, I, it was unbelievable what I felt. And, and the pastor was trying to be gracious. And he goes, oh, I don't know. He goes, no, what is it? And the pastor said, I'll tell you what it is. And I think we have a tremendous worship team. But it's like John Avanzini used to say, he'd take the chickens behind the barn and show them a turkey egg. And said, I'm not trying to put any pressure on you, but look what others are doing. 
And he said, in America, you have to hire your musicians. And I thank God we can. They're worth it. But he said, in Singapore, he said, some of these musicians are play in the symphony orchestra. Some of them are this. Some of them are opera singers. Some of this. And you go up to them and say, would you be on the worship team? And they go, me? You want me to lead the people? in worshiping the Lord. Oh, thank you. It's not a job. It's a privilege. It's a privilege. And I feel that same way. And I want to encourage every pastor, every pastor that may be listening or may be visiting, don't ever let it turn into a job. The Lord says... Those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, listen. Otherwise, I've got to take, the the light can't be wasted. And I'm going to have to take the light you have. And I'm going to have to give it to somebody else. Because the closer we get to the end, the brighter the light will shine. And I want all of us to realize that, whether we're kings or priests or we're both but let me close with this and I am closing he said for those of you that overcome he said number one remember you remember what it was like when you first got saved you'd do anything for the Lord when Tiz and I first got married I loaded trucks. She worked at, uh, as, a, as a waitress at Ramada Inn, a little, little motel. I, I remember when God spoke to the pastor and he said, We're gonna, we need to expand the church. We're getting so many young people say, we need to expand the church. It was all hippies. It was all kids off the streets. And Tiz and I went down and borrowed uh, $1,000. took us eight years to pay it off. Went down and borrowed $1,000 so we'd put something in the plate. Why? Because somebody paid to tell me. Somebody paid for the lights so that I could hear about Jesus. And I, I, had, an, I had an obligation to keep that going. The pass, the pass, it's like running the race and passing the baton. You, gotta, you can't drive. If you drop the baton, we lose the race. Amen. Tiz and I started a church in Spokane, Washington. Out of our own pocket. Found a warehouse. Went to a school auction where they're auctioning off old wooden uh, chairs from the school. All cracked. Remember those old wooden chairs that would peel? They would, the wood would peel on them. Sit down there to pinch your butt. Thank you, Jesus. We went to the warehouse, painted the walls. Tiz and I painted. There was nobody there. We, we had, nobody. Kids were there. Our babies were there. Painted the chairs. Stayed up till three in the morning, painting the chairs. 125 chairs, painted by hand. Next morning, got up. We'd been out witnessing for about three weeks. I went in and cleaned the toilet, cleaned everything. Tiz went out in our little van and picked people up, drug addicts that we'd met, and said, "We'll meet you here at the corner." 
And this lady comes by our house and she goes, did you go and get those people that I told you about? And, tis, and we had a prostitute that gotten saved living in our, a prostitute, her kid and her dad with no legs living in our house. We had another one whose husband went to prison and had her and her two or three kids living in our upstairs. And Tiz and I and all the kids lived, slept on the floor in the basement. And this lady comes up and goes, I, there's these people I told you about, did you go see them? Tiz said, we didn't get a chance to do it. We, we, we didn't get a chance to do it because we had to paint the chairs and we had to do this. And then she goes, you know what? That's the problem with the church. They never get anything done. And I looked at her and I said, ma'am, who do you think the church is? You know, that's the problem with the church. I know. And we's the church. I will tell you a funny thing. Everybody came. We had like a 80 visitors. We put out flyers and everything. And everybody sat on those newly painted chairs. And when they stood up, all the paint was on their butts and on their... I said, the Lord wants us to slowly back away from his presence out the door. Remember your first love? He said, remember it. And then he said, repent. And he said, those who repent, I am closing with this. He said, I'll give you the tree of life. Now, to the church in Ephesus, that had double meaning. We know the tree of life. We know it better than almost any Christians know it because in the last days, the angel is going to show us the way back to the tree. This is the end time anointing. But in Ephesus, at the temple of Diana, there was a tree and a shrine called the tree of life. And if someone was condemned by the law, if they made it to the tree before the authorities caught them, they were safe at the tree and their crimes were forgiven. So the Lord says, the tree's coming, the tree of life. Let's remember our first love. Let's get back to it. Let's be faithful in telling people about Jesus and praying, reading your Bible. Come, give you a prophetic word. We talked about this in, in our house. And I said, what do I say to people watching by stream with COVID and with everything that's going on? But even more than that, so many of you are from around the world. We get letters and emails saying, Pastor, no, where we're at, we don't have a church that teaches this. So we, we're, we're your stream church and you are a stream church. Here's what God told me to stir that up in you. Instead of watching this after the football game, if you have to watch by stream, get up early, have a cup of coffee, Open your Bible, get your notepad out, and watch live with us. Does that make sense? It's like making an effort because we're, we're in a different time. We were talking about how do we make this happen with everybody around the world. We have, we have, we have audience around the world with us right now. We, we have sometimes up to 50,000 tap onto us with stream. If you can, if you can get back to church. Let me encourage you. Stir it up. 
get back to church, God will protect us from COVID. If we're your church where you can't get here, then get up and be with us live and show the Lord I'm returning to my first love. I believe the anointing will be better than ever. Amen. Stand with me all over the building. My apologies for going long. My apologies for going long. Of course, I say that every week. I say that every week. But, you know, maybe we ought to get to the point where we're not bragging that we'll get you in and out in 55 minutes. Maybe that's part of coming back to our first love. I'd like to have every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around, because the first love really is souls being saved. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and no one's looking around, and I don't have to hurry real fast because Cowboys don't play until 7 tonight. Next Super Bowl champions. You're here right now and you say, Pastor, I've never been saved. I've never prayed. Or maybe I have been saved, but I've backslid. Or maybe even today, you'd say, I haven't backslid, but I've become kind of lukewarm. And I need to give my life or rededicate my life to the Lord. And I'm not going to bring you down today. We're all going to pray together. But if God's speaking you to come back to your first love, lift your hand up all over the building. Ever I see that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand, that. Just hands everywhere. Hand, that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand. That hand, that hand. Don't ignore him. That hand, yeah. Give the Lord a clap offering. There's too many hands. Too many hands. Too many hands. I'll make a vow with you. I'll never become a religious pastor if you never become a religious church. Deal? Is that a deal? Let's say this out loud. Lift your hands before the Lord. Say this out loud. Say, Father. I come to you right now in the name of Jesus. I know I've sinned. We've all sinned. But I know this. You love me so much. You sent Jesus Christ to pay the price in full for all our sin. Right now, I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. Jesus, you died for me. I will live for you.